Bonjour everyone and welcome back to Casser les lignes, the French football podcast from the Breaking the Lines constellation. Uh, thanks for being with us again this week. Of course, we're going to talk about Ligue 1 as usual, uh, match day 14. Uh, of course, the the drama, the shame, I guess, that happened at the OL Groupama Stadium between Lyon and Marseille. Uh, but also the nine other games, the 27 goals and the five red cards that were um, given this weekend. Ligue 1 find themselves at the crossroads uh, and a lot of decisions are going to be taken in the next few weeks. Uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we've, uh, I don't know, we've reached the peak or, or rock bottom, should I say, of what can happen in uh, in stadiums with fans. With me for over an hour, I apologize for the length of the uh, pod, but that's definitely worth it, will be Tom Abadie. Tom, uh, he's a French Lyon supporter who's been living abroad for quite some time uh, and who's following uh, Ligue 1 and other football for a while now. And so we had a, a pretty good conversation about what happened between Lyon and Marseille uh, off the pitch, of course, because there was only a few Uh, a few seconds played on the pitch. Uh, but we also decided to cover Lille, Monaco, Paris Saint-Germain uh, and Rennes uh, just to, to give a bit of a state of what's going on in Ligue 1 uh, this far. So that's how the pod will start. Uh, Tom and I having a, a lengthy conversation about um, what happens in Ligue 1 these days and, and how we can, you know, get through it the best way. And then after that, um, I'll quickly cover the uh, the rest of the game. I think there will be six more games that I'll have to uh, to quickly cover to make the podcast not too long. Thank you again for uh, tuning in and for listening to Castle uh, les Lignes. Uh, of course, as usual, we're going to start after the music. And there we are, and Tom is with me. Tom, thank you very much for accepting to come on the pod today. At first, you know, I think we were both looking forward to uh, debriefing the, the Olympico. It hasn't happened. Tom is a, is a Lyon supporter. Uh, but Tom, please, by all means, uh, introduce yourself to, to the audience. Um, why, why are you an OL supporter? And, and what do you write? What do you uh, podcast? What's your relationship with football? Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me, Jeremy. Uh, it's, a, it's a great pleasure to be on the show. Um, so, yeah, I've been a Noel fan since 2006, I think, 2007, maybe. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, obviously, if you really know your league, you'll know that back then they were the best team. And I think when you grow up, I think that's that's the easy choice to make. You know, it's, um, you know, you go for the team that wins. Um, I think also there was an ethos. Uh, that I really liked with you know youth and so on, and since then Benzema has been my favorite player. And you know between Juninho, Guvu, and Coupe, all those great players, um, yeah, it was a it was an easy choice to to be a Noel fan back in the day. Um, yeah, I think that my first game was at the stadium, and I, you know I grew up mostly in Paris, and and my first game was at the Parc des Princes. Three uh, two win for OL uh, away at the Parc des Princes was uh, was quite a nice first uh, game in the stadium. Um, but yeah, 15, yeah, more than 16 years down the line, uh, here I am as a proud OL fan. Uh, well, proud, we'll, we'll see how it goes in the, the next section. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'm hoping to become a journalist. Uh, I produce my own content, uh, where it's writing for various sources in French and English, uh, whether it's Café Commerce OL or Over the Bar and, and 
multiple other sources of media and uh, with two other OL fans we produce every week, uh, the Football uh, English podcast, uh, where we debrief um, games for OL, whether it's you know Europa League, Ligue 1, all that stuff. Uh, once in a while we have guests on and we also have special episodes to maybe dive into uh, you know best teams of the decade and uh, why OL was so great back in the day and why we're suffering today. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's a real pleasure to talk about OL uh, on a regular basis. And I think I'm getting more and more opportunities to come on shows like these uh, to talk about it as well. And it's uh, it's always a pleasure to to discuss these. Um, I would have liked to actually discuss a game uh, today, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, here we are discussing uh, fan troubles yet again. You you are you, you're saying that you're writing and you're talking a lot about OL. Uh, I'm not mistaken in thinking that you also you know you want a career in journalism. You also uh, write and talk about a lot of other subjects, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I document uh, quite a large scale of teams. You know, I talk about the English Premier League, I think, is the most uh, league I talk about, but also do a lot about Syria and uh, La Liga. And I've currently uh, found a new position at Dani de Fonsa to talk about um, the Dutch Eredivisie, which is where I currently study in, in the Netherlands. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just, I'm very interested with, with football around the around Europe mainly, but also have a big passion about uh, Argentinian and Brazilian football as well. So, um, yeah, I think if you do follow my, my Twitter uh, one day, you'll you'll see that it's uh, it's a lot of variety of football watched, I think, uh, but mainly OL and the Premier League. I think that's the ultimate uh, one. Awesome. And the Twitter handle is Tom underscore Abadie, if you are wondering, A-B-A-D-I-E. Uh, you know, we we planned those sort of couple of weeks special Lyon uh, around the Olympico. And I had uh, Nicolas and Sam that, um, of course, you know, uh, just a week ago to, to discuss what Lyon was this season. Um, they did seem quite, um, I guess, I don't know if it's sad or, or in the mood for, for venting, uh, but they definitely uh, went 100% convinced by um, the OL trained, coached by um, Peter Boss. What's what's your opinion? Are you of the same sentiment? Do you, do you think that Lyon hasn't reached their potential yet this year or do you think that they have and, and it's just going to be a good year without being a great year? Well, I mean, they recorded a podcast just after the Ren game, uh, from my memory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can understand the frustration. Um, I've had 10 days to think about that result, or not think about that result, but more importantly. Um, it's been up and down, I think. And I think uh, OL has been like this for, for many years. I, we said it from the start. You know, I've followed um, Peter Bosch for many years, whether it's in Germany or before that. Um and I think we knew from the start that it would be difficult for our heart, uh, you know, where it's uh, late, uh, late uh, defeats, like against Nice, for example, um, or shocking results where you go all out attack and just concede like six goals or five goals like we saw against Ren. Um, I think we definitely do can do better. There's such a great potential in this team. You know, we, we wax lyrical week in, week out about how amazing our midfield is, and it's not been quite that. Um, I think some players are not getting the credit deserved. You know, the, the start of the season for Toko Kambi and Awa has been pretty amazing. Uh, obviously, Paquette has done quite well. Um, but um, I say quite. I mean, he, he was exceptional at the start of the year and has sort of disappeared since uh, playing as a number nine, which I don't think is his best position. Um, 
ultimately it's slightly frustrating because you know we know we can do better and there are certain elements the likes of Shakira and Dubois who are disappointing week in week out and they still get to play so I think there's something with Bosch's management where we still struggle with um, but ultimately we'll keep pushing you know I, I still think we, we can go quite far whether it's you know uh, Europa League I think we definitely have a chance to, to do quite well there um, and in the league I think there's some really really good teams this season and uh, it's going to be a tough one but i definitely believe we can at least i think the objective at the start was to try and get europa league um with a you know stabilizing year to try and get bosch's ideas in and get some players to get more playing time the likes of shirky and so on um but i also believe that a lot of players will be leaving next summer and it'd be a shame to not take advantage of that so maybe running deep into europa league and just you know, getting a solid European spot in 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 the league would be a would be a decent season. And why not? You know, get a good run in the cup as well. But um, I don't. I think we overestimated at the start of the season our depth in the squad, and that we've seen quite recently how we struggle with with um, turnover, especially. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the the late recruits that um, Lyon have done have, have been very important, but it definitely shows uh, that lack of depth and, and you know, the, the choice of going for a, for a veterans player who are definitely going to bring experience, uh, maybe solve it in a, in a short term, being a full season, uh, but not in a, not in the long term. I am I am definitely excited to see uh, what OL is going to, to do this year because they've they've managed to, to have a pretty decent uh, Europa League um run so far and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them going far i mean bosch likes uh those kind of competition uh and, and Ligue 1, as you said with with nice and Lens not playing any um europe midweek uh they might have an advantage and, and nice at least i think will will definitely try and make sure that they're the one going straight to champions league anyway let's talk about uh what we don't want to talk about so what happened yesterday between uh ol and om so for our, our listeners who don't know and i doubt there are any um, it's a game that was, of course, um, widely anticipated. And I think all Marseille fans and Lyon fans um, spent that whole international break just looking forward to seeing uh, Sampaoli and Boss against each other. Uh, and and uh, those two tactical, um, I guess, choices that um, you're saying, you know, with, with uh, Boss, you knew that you were not going to have a, an easy year. I think Marseille fans feel the same with, uh, with Sampaoli, at least for their heart. Uh, and so everyone was really looking forward to it. Uh, and then and then the game starts. And then one minute 50 into the game, first corner kick. Uh, I think maybe there's a, some paper or something that falls around Payet. And Payet walks away from the corner kick. Uh, the referee goes to the speaker and asks uh, for something to be said for the um, for the fans to stop throwing things. Uh, if I remember well, then the referee goes into the middle of the box because uh, Genduzi and Jomande maybe have a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a hug in the middle of the box just before the corner. And as Payet gets ready to um, take that corner, a, um, a water bottle with water in there, so half full, uh, and, and clothes um, was thrown from the stand and hit Payet uh, over the ear, just on the side of the head, um, to which uh, the, the Marseille captain just falls on the floor uh, and stays on the floor for quite a long time. The referee decides to send all the players to the locker room. And then from there, 
very bizarre decision-making situation, very legal, um, a lot of meetings happening, uh, a first decision apparently taken to start the game again, maybe an hour and a half after um, the facts and, and the Lyon player coming back to train and then the Marseille player uh, and coach clearly um, disapproving with the decision being made uh, and the referee calling back um, the the players, the coach, and I think the president as well in, in the locker room to tell them actually the game is not going to start again and, and the game is over and, and that's probably the facts. And then around that, and we're going to talk about it, there are some, uh, some, some conversations, some, some declarations, some social media, um, just a lot of uh, a lot of shame coming from Ligue 1. I mean, it's the kind of day where uh, where I'm not as proud as I usually am to talk about Ligue 1 because I feel like I have to justify um, why I love French football and I have to justify uh, what's going on in uh, in in my country of origin and, and the society, etc. Anyway, Tom, just like that, I mean, you had a day to think about it, of course, but your your reaction, I guess, yesterday when you're stuck in front of your TV for two hours. Uh, watching a, a green square and, uh, and 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 with all that happened during that Olympico. Well, I was I was glad that it was at least Thierry Henry who got to, to speak throughout <laughs> the whole way for us uh, with Amazon Prime and Thibaut Laurent also did very well. Uh, but I think at some point they just lost it. You know, you had the smile Webdilla talking about his football manager team. Uh, it, it was just all very bizarre at some point. Um, I don't know. It's it's. Frustrating. Um, I know that the well fans are not the calmest. Uh, I think we've had incidents in the past. Uh, I remember Bishiktas a few years ago. Um, yeah, there's always been a few incidents here and there, but I always believed that we were better than this. And this is not coming from like a clubism um, perspective. It's more like, you know, we saw all the other incidents this year, whether it's the the derby of the north between Lens and Lille, we saw a lot of incidents involving Marseille, you know, Montpellier, Nice, uh, we saw Saint-Etienne as well uh, against Lyon. Uh, but also, I always believed that in a group Palmer Stadium, we wouldn't have these kind of incidents. That we, this was velodrome kind of vibes. Um, so I was disappointed. Uh, but, you know, to start with, I was like, okay, well, we might get a game back. You know, I've seen incidents like these before, especially in the UK, and I'm sure we'll get to that as well, um, where the teams just, you know, they come out after half an hour and say, okay, come on, guys, just yeah, get the guy out. Uh, speaker speaks to the, the fans that we move on. But no, it's two hours of just waiting there and just not knowing, and the communication first was terrible. Um, this is, as you said, very Ligue 1, very French, of, of just continuous meetings and just, uh, you know, policy after policy um some weird rules were coming out you know there's there's uh, stuff that amazon prime said that um, if a referee was the one who was hit by a bottle the game would be instantly stopped and postponed but if there was a player it's okay which doesn't make really much sense to me um because ultimately they're the players who are bringing i mean yes the referee is an actor of the game as well but the players are the main ones so you'd think they'd be the ones who protect the most um, I was frustrated against the individual, uh, but I, I you can't take it out all on him because you watch the videos online, uh, you see people sort of supporting him in his in his actions. You know, uh, there's there's a very clear video with a guy sniggering like a hyena, and I was 
just just not okay. You know, yes, there are insults in stadiums. The insults weren't great, but they happen. You know, they happen anywhere you go, and they probably happen anywhere a Payet goes. Um, but there's a difference between the insults and like actually throwing a bottle at him or throwing him a Nokia a three three ten. Um, there's just there's limits and stadiums are not zoos you know you're not throwing stuff at people and you're not expecting for the players to to act like monkeys and and just act up for you you know you can't do that and even if you do want them to act up in front of you if you start injuring them you're not going to get them to play the game so extremely frustrating but the 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 way it was handled just make it even worse so action needs to be taken um, and I'm not gonna, you know, insensitize the whole community, the whole bad gun, because yeah, the 95% of them are good people. Um, I know a few of them. There's just they're they're good people. Uh, it's just that one individual plus another few individuals who are always standing out and will. Yeah, put a bad image not only on Leon but also on French football and football as a whole. You know, there's someone tweeted, um, "You've got to defend at Christmas uh, whether football is is a sport for for idiots." And now, what are you supposed to say? And and I think you know to to talk about the the bad gun and and what you're saying, I think the reaction in the stadium shows, I guess, the that that famous uh the react your individual versus an individual in the group the bottle is set is sent and the bottle hits by it and the whole of the stadium almost sort of rejoices because because it's in Lyon because it's sort of like a, a celebration but literally three seconds later all of a sudden everyone's like oh wait I mean okay yeah. now now something's back going to happen and and you know it's it is it has been now widely said that this uh this individual um, wasn't a uh, wasn't a, a year long fan and wasn't uh, somebody who was uh, part of any of those group. Um, so so yeah, I think the for everything that we're talking about with the ultra mentality and and with all those uh, supporters group, I think somehow the supporters group probably are the only one who understand the importance of um, slowing down the behavior in the stadium because they know how much they have to lose because they have a real relationship. With the club, sure. and they have a way to get um, cheaper tickets, etc. So I think they were, and they were very quick to uh, release a statement. I'm sure if you, like everyone who's interested in Ligue 1 has seen the video of uh, of the capo uh, coming and uh, and slapping uh, where, whether he was the guy who said the ball or friend of him, and then he's trying to shake his hand. Uh, and and you know it's it's the kind of thing that you know I'm I'm laughing because I think about the images, the the instant that it happened. It is something that on every stadium, if that happens in Marseille for the first 10 seconds, everyone's going to cheer. And then all of a sudden you realize that, like you said, shit, this is one of the main actors of the game, the, the player, not Vargas, just a, play, a player. And and we just can't think that it's okay um, to, to to touch a player. And, and, I'm, and I'm of the mind that if you touch a player, you stop the game straight away because hopefully by getting there, you, you can avoid that from happening you know if you if, if you push the even, it's not even just touching him i think there's 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 even just the action of throwing something at them i agree you know obviously all the videos have come out of past olympicos where lacazette nearly gets a beer thrown at his face and it comes like inches away and a beer would have been so much worse than a 
plastic bottle and if he's running he's got that beer smashed in his face not only is he getting splinters because the beer will probably explode he's getting cleanly knocked out so i don't think it's even a question anymore of whether we actually touched the individual i mean good on you you got a good throw you touched the guy but that's not the point the point is you've actually tried and injure a player and that's just not okay and this is the mentality in, in a lot of stadiums, but definitely in French stadiums. I mean, you've been to stadiums. I had some years when I was a, uh, um, a Marseille ticket holders. Uh, I've been to Stade de France, Parc des Princes, Groupama Stadium in a couple of occasions. Um, it, it, is, it is just the mentality in France where uh, player, uh, sorry, supporters have their little chifosi, which are uh, little paper bullets, and they throw it on the, on the stadium. And sure, you know, it might feel like it can't, uh, hurt anyone when it's just paper, but then in the middle of the paper, somebody puts a phone battery, a phone, like you say, a, a Nokia 3310, which uh, usually end, end on pitches. And I feel like this year uh, is a season where Ligue 1 sort of said um, enough is enough, uh, where where they decide to uh, to not take it as lightly as they have um, in the past and to, to try and make sure that whatever happens, they protect whoever is on is on the pitch and, and decide to for now I think still clumsily uh try and take action as soon as this is like it is um happening. Is is it are we going the right way, do you think? Or or what's in your opinion the, the best way to do it? We interrupt the game straight away or we stop 10 minutes to calm everyone down, we push everyone maybe three rows and then we start again. What what, what would be your your best solution? I think it's important to note as well that there is not only is it a season where Lyon is starting to take action, but it's also after two years of fans being somewhat away of the stadiums, I think there's such a rise of people just wanting to let loose. And you've seen this with um, you know, rioting in the streets in France as well and, and everywhere. You know, I live in the Netherlands, there's been rioting for last weekend because of COVID restrictions. Um, COVID has put people in boxes and put them at home and now they, they spend the last six months trying to let loose and go at it and for them the way for many supporters is to do this in stadiums um, it's needed a place or time to do it uh, and league has certainly not done enough uh, and is not doing in the right direction you know there's statements that came out last night and even today about saying it's it's a club responsibility and it I mean, to an extent it is, um, but also isn't. Like, stuff should be done by the, the, the league beforehand. Um, but even after the incident, you know, I, I can't remember what happened exactly to the individual supporters in Nice, but I know that, you know, they just got what, two games ban of stadium and then just went back to regular football. I didn't even get, like, a full stadium. They just got the that stand blockaded and you're like, well, yeah, but they invaded the pitch. Um, <laughs> they invaded the pitch, started attacking players. Uh, same in Saint Etienne as well, um, and and Lens. So I don't, I don't think it's the right direction at the moment. And there's so many other examples of, of successful um, you know, measures. And I think you can take even in France. You take we mentioned this before the podcast, the Loupou plan in in Paris 10 years ago when he kicked out all the ultras uh, after years of 
yeah, very blatantly murders between supporters, mm-hmm. especially during Classicos against Marseille. And he kicked all the ultras out. And look at it today. You know, we celebrated the 30th anniversary of the Virage Auteuil this weekend. And the spectacle was one of a kind, like something you wouldn't see in most of France. Uh, it was controlled. He had like, yes, he had pyrotechnics. And maybe the league will be like, ah, we don't really like pyrotechnics. But it was done properly. And it was beautiful to watch. I don't particularly like PSG, you know, it's not my favorite club, but I have to say that was special to watch, and it's something that you'll see in Serbia and and all those crazy places in the east where they're allowed to have these kind of pyrotechnics. And Paris have gone through the pain of taking all the ultras out and slowly bringing them back in, and have done it properly. Um, do we need to kick all the ultras out for every club before getting it done properly? I don't think so. Um, but I think there's definitely a way of doing it similarly to what they do in England with the hooligans and taking them individually and giving them proper sentences. You know, five-year ban of, of stadiums. Um, something was mentioned on Amazon Prime last night that uh, even if you get a, a, a one-year ban, at every game at home, you have to go to the stadium and present yourself and say, and like you have to tick something off your card. So you think every single time you have a game, you have to actually go to the stadium and go back home because you're not out loud in. But every time you think about your actions, and I think if you have to do that for five years, my God, you're going to remember it. Um, I don't know if jail time is another way of doing it. But, you know, I'm not very good with the law, um, but... It's definitely an individual aspect that needs to be taken rather than closing down stands, taking points off teams. Because people that are doing this clearly do not care about the results, don't care about the club. Uh, If they're doing this, they don't care about the club or the players. So individualize it. Make it... You have the cameras. The guy was found very quickly. Take him out of the stand. If he's alone, then yeah, fine. You know, take him out get the game back on, on the go. Yes, it'll take like half an hour, an hour for them to calm down, get the speaker to talk. And yeah, for that second incident, if there's a second incident, then yeah, stop the game, make a replay behind closed doors or something. I don't know. But the individuals who are menacing and who are hurting players, you need to protect these players. You know, we're really pushing them far too much with too many games. If you're also attacking them with Nokia 3310s, they're not going to want to play football anymore. And that's that's the beautiful game that's gone. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a different approach. There's no perfect approach. You know, the hooligans uh, were dealt with pretty harshly. Um, and ultimately, that means that stadiums are pretty quiet uh, today in England because prices were so high that the regular fan who's a bit wild and a bit of an ultra can't go to the stadium anymore, and now you just have tourists from around the world. Is that what we want in France? Absolutely not. But they need to find a middle ground between that and the ultras who are hurting players every single week. And I'm kind of fed up of having to sit two hours in front of Amazon Prime and watch Thierry Henry complain about uh, supporters. So... The, and I think communicate on the communicate on the sanctions as well. I mean, uh, it's 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 quite telling that um, that we don't actually know what happened to the Nice supporter uh, after after what happened after exactly. he came in and and, and he it. I mean, I, I I I know because I was following and you know he was he was judged and he and he obviously 
uh, cried in front of the judge and he obviously said that he doesn't know why it went through his head because maybe m- maybe he means it. Maybe when you're in a in a crowd setup, you kind of forget what you're doing and you think you're cool by great going sociology in a... topic. <laughs> great topic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're, you're like maybe you feel good about it, but yeah, he he did get um he did get uh, suspended jail time uh, and um, um like community service work etc. And he ha- is banned from the stadium. And in France, when you're banned to the stadium, you don't have to go to the stadium. But you have to go to the police um, oh, station right. yeah. at at the fifteenth and at the sixtieth minute, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Um, so so it, it, there's a bit of that, but as as you um, as you clearly show, uh, it's it's not advertised enough. I mean, with the with the guy who threw the bottle yesterday, uh, the reports are that of course he was arrested on the spot. The, there's a lot of cameras, there's a lot of security. If anything, at the OL Copama Stadium, you could they were able to to find it very quickly and then um he's going to be judged straight away so i think it's um today or, or tomorrow that he is going to go and uh, and the risk the maximum risk is three years of of jail but i, I doubt he'll get the maximum but he'll definitely get um something suspended and, and i think this needs to be um advertised everywhere i mean i'm, I'm of the mind of for the next Two months or so in every stadium, in the in the front of the like on the screens, you just write this. This guy threw a ball of water. Mm. He took a month and a half. This guy invited the pitch. He took you know a year of suspended jail time just for for the people in the stadium to Think if twice. they need to be reminded again. Hey, this is what happened if you're going to act stupid because people act stupid in in a crowd. Um, in a crowd setting, and and you know, I've been into uh, I've been into the Marseille um, stadium where I think probably in France the people are, are the most violent from from the stadiums that I've done, uh, and are the most you know people say passionate to be polite, um, but uh, but I, I think it's very easy for something to go wrong. It's you know Payet yesterday. It's only a ball of water, and he's surprised, and he hurt he hurt his ear, so he doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't see. Where it is, I guess, and so he stays on the floor. Uh, but if he if he hits him, you know, in the neck, facing or or anything can make damage, and we don't want to wait for something dramatic, something really dramatic to make those decisions. And it, it's a complicated issue, like you said, because if we La League, if they're going to make decisions, I feel like they're only going to penalize the club. But does the club deserve to be penalized for the action of one individual? I think as a club, and, and we're going to talk about what Olas said, uh, Olas should say, the, the president of Lyon should say, it's our fault, it's our club, it's only individual, but we take responsibility. And da, da, da. I feel like, and I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure that I don't say that because I'm a Marseille fan and because I'm just a an objective football uh, person. But I feel like if I'm a football player and another football player gets injured, I don't want to go back on the on the pitch, you know, very much like when there is um, racist abuse. I feel like every single actor in the middle of the field should say that that's too much. Like for all, for all we can think about uh, Payet when the Marseille fan threw stuff at Neymar uh, during the Classico. Payet was the only Marseille player who actually came and put his hand in front of the cup and told the supporter to stop throwing things. So even if he's probably not Neymar's best friend and even if maybe he loses half of his own fan base by trying to protect Neymar, uh, at least 
is showing that we are, we need the, the players need to show um, support with each other, and and the fan for everybody second need to forget about the rivalries and to just think that it's an individual that you're trying to target, and and that no one deserves to be hurt while while doing um, what they love. Um, back to Jean Michel Olas, we talked about it a little bit um, offline. I mean, clearly he's he's defending his club and he's making sure that. Um, you know his supporters that he has a very good relationship with aren't, um, aren't you know dragging the mug for the, the actions of one uh, individual, but just a bit of comp- accountability. I mean, what do you think about your your president on that one? I think he's he's done this for for many years. You know, Olas is uh, yeah. I, I don't have the word in English. But he's he doesn't he struggles to see the truth. Uh, at times, he's a uh, he's a bit of a bad loser. He's a bit of a sore loser, and he does this a lot with with football politics, uh, whether it's VAR or the results and so on. But nowadays, it's more and more about fans, and it doesn't help that his uh, well ex uh, best friend uh, Vincent Labrune's the president of La Ligue nowadays. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm ju- I'm just glad that he gets along with Longoria at least nowadays. That it actually. He, uh, Seems like there's a working relationship there. Um, yeah, well, that's the, what he does best uh, or worst, depending on whether you love the character or not. I really, I really like him, um, but I think he's past his his time, uh, and he needs to give up the keys to the the, the shop at some point. He uh, he started his his interview on Amazon Prime by saying that. Uh, I think his, his general message was we should have gone back to the game. There's shared feelings with that. Um, I take the example of, of Jack Grealish being attacked during a Birmingham derby and him just going back into the game and scoring uh, the winning goal. You know, the guy got punched in the head. That, does that make it worse than a bottle? Probably. But I see both sides. Uh, this is not going to be clubism. There's definitely, as I mentioned before, stuff should be done with security for players, and, and not enough has been done. And if that's if the first step forward is walking off the pitch, and walk off the pitch, please do, um, or don't come back on. Yeah, you know, either way, um, security of the players comes before football. Uh, the result is not that important. Oh yes, Olas wants to defend his club. Uh, he sees the financial incentive of the Champions League, and he's already missed out on it uh, twice recently. Um, so he wants to, yeah, he wants his club to be able to go back into the pitch and and actually play. To be honest, it was two minutes in. Like I don't really see at what point he was expecting us to definitely win that game. It's not like we were winning three nil and it's ten minutes <laughs> to play and whatever. Um, Two minutes in, with the well side that we currently have, uh, it's definitely not a straight win against anyone, uh, let alone Marseille. So his attitude wasn't great, but also think he he is being stitched up at times. You know, if you listen to to Riolo's interview last night, uh, Riolo just insults him off air or on air when he's not there. Uh, and then when Olas comes on and shows him facts, Riolo's like, I don't care about your facts. I've got my own truth and I'm going to play the class clown that I usually am. Um, and then continues to insult him when Olas leaves. And the poor man, you know, he's, he's 
getting a bit old. I think it's a bit much for his heart to read the beat at some point. He's getting a bit excited at times. It's being slated openly on radio. Um, I'd be careful if I was Riolo, but it's a whole other debate about him being caught with justice and so on. Olas played his role as president. It's a shame because I think he's one of the bigger voices in French football and he could have done a real big statement and shown that the club was behind the decision and supported it. I think he did that halfway by saying he was not a fan of the fact that it was overturned rather than the actual decision itself. Uh, But I think he was just him sort of reacting to Thierry Henry saying very openly, what the hell are you doing? And like, come on, grow up. And Olas didn't want to be publicly ridiculed um, by ex-French legend. So, yeah, Olas didn't do his best last night. And I think he could have done so much more for French football. And I hope that he'll work hand in hand with authorities to try and get this resolved because he is the president of one of the bigger clubs in, in France and he can his voice can really matter. And he's probably one of the biggest French presidents. I think any fans in France would uh, recognize the work that Olas well, has done. Like, I think any any fan in France would like to have a president like Olas at the head of their club who, who stays through for 25 years. Maybe not maybe not on the 26th year, uh, but for the first uh, 25 years. 10 year, years I'm, ago, I'm, yes. I definitely think no. He's a great person. Okay. I love you. Olas. To, I, love, I really do. But now you <laughs> might need to leave. <laughs> To, to, to his credit, he did uh, he did get in touch with, with Dimitri Payet. Um, he said so, and, and of course he wouldn't lie about that. Uh, and he did check on the on the welfare of the player. I think, yeah, in, in my mind, he's, he's close crazy. to he's, he's mm-hmm. close to French football players. To my understanding, he I think Dimitri is a guy he actually likes, and generally I think he doesn't want to harm anyone. Yet, like yes, he do, he does go a bit up in the towers at points with results and so on. But when violence and so on is involved. No, he's very careful with that. He's, he's becoming old Papi Olas. You know, he's he's a bit careful with his grandchildren. He's a, he, and, and he's a businessman uh, above all. So you also need to, uh, on one hand, protect his club, as you said, yeah. by making sure that he's not saying anything that will incriminate his club. On the other hand, he also knows, I guess, how to how to sort of behave. I do, I do agree with you, though, that um, with all that he's done, he should have a bit more respect, like almost a, uh, he should have almost the, um, you know, the, the, the dawn of the mafia's respect, where people should be careful how they talk to him because he's done so much for uh, for league oh, yeah. and for football I mean, that they shouldn't try and trap him at his age when it's full of emotion, when something like this has just happened, uh, and they should give him the, the benefit of the doubt. I think there's a lot of expectations in those situations that everyone's going to have a cool head. Uh, and I mean, I, Olas and I is the padrino. Olas is the padrino of football, uh, French football. Uh, and I know, right? And he, he, des- he deserves it. But yeah, I think... Uh, I think it, I agree that people are, are often tr- trying to put those traps in so that they can have a bit more uh, a bit more press to be able to sell the the day after. Um, the aftermath, as far as uh, as decisions, uh, so Lyon was condemned so far to be played without fans, at least for the next game, uh, and then the final decision will be taken on December eighth. Um, tomorrow it goes as far as a, uh, a government cabinet meeting, the secretary of sport, the secretary of home affairs. Um, and and, um, and the, the chief of justice, basically, in France, are all going to meet to discuss the issues of the uh, fans in the stadiums. Um, the clubs have come up to the table with a number of um, of things that they want to see, of answers they want to get. Um, who's in charge of, of interrupting the game? Is it the referee alone? Is it 
um, the referee's boss that are working for La Ligue. Uh, is he, you know, what are the risks? Is it, you know, do you stop the game straight away when a player is touched, which should be the case? Um, do you stop the game when something is thrown on the stadium? Uh, where do you draw the limit? Is that paper? Is that when something, when a hard object? Um, can you really blame clubs for not supposedly uh, having a good enough security when we all know it's very easy to smuggle something anywhere, uh, let alone the stadium. Uh, all those things are going to be discussed and clearly are taken very um, seriously. I, I, you know, I think, Tom, you and I are on the same mind that um, it needs to be taken very seriously. There needs to be um, action. It needs to be really focused on the people that are actually doing something bad uh, because closing a whole stadium of 60,000 people for one person not doing the right thing, I don't think is is right. And you know, um, yesterday a lot of lot of testimonies, a lot of people were saying they you know they traveled hours to be able to go and see Mar Lyon against Marseille with their kids, and and now you have to explain why the, the game is is arrested. You know, you mentioned the hooligans. Uh, I think the the NBA is not a bad example. Um, we've seen we've seen uh, fans being ejected. For just talking to a to a player and talking smack to a player, uh, fans being ejected um, live on camera, and so everyone sees it. and And I feel like if you're the fan, it's a smaller arena, sure. But if you're the fan and your head is on TV and you're making the news, you're just going to be ashamed. So then the next person is not going to do that. And and although I'm not a fan of the whole name and shame situation, like I said before, if we advertised what we're doing to those people who are just acting wrong. Um, I feel like you can prevent somebody else to do it. I mean, um, to, to to take the, the the simplest example, if if somebody um, kills somebody and you never talk about what you what's at risk, then you're going to do it as well because you think that you can um, just not be punished. And I feel like that's been the case. Uh, and hopefully, those things are going to um, change soon. Uh, last thought about this, Tom. Do you think that we've hit rock bottom with all this reaction, even though the events are not as maybe bad as it was at Nice or in Lens? Do you think that because it was such a, a big game that hasn't happened because of it? Do you think that we we're going to see a real shift of minds in the fans, regardless of what's going to happen? I hope. I hope this is rock bottom. I don't really see if... Um, I mean, yes, we can go lower. And I know exactly where it can go lower, you know, players being seriously injured. Um, some videos come out of of this player who got injured with a coin being thrown at his head and he opened his skull and you're like, okay, well, good damn it. And that goes back to the example earlier of you can't control everything they bring in. You're not going to ask people to drop all the coins at the entrance. Like, that's just not going to happen. Um I mean, you can change the whole economy and go like the US and not actually have coins. That's the, the other solution. But <laughs> I don't see that happening. Um, so, yeah, I hope this is rock bottom and that we can move forward. Um, stuff needs to be done. Uh, I don't, there are, I follow the Premier League every weekend. Yes, there are problems. There's racism, there's homophobia, and there's all that stuff. A lot of it comes online. And that's a whole other conversation. In stadiums, it is mostly pretty safe. Um, unless you go to Millwall and all that stuff, but you're looking for it. Um, but like the likes of West Ham, Chelsea, Manchester United, yes, there's a lot of tourists. And yes, the 
the vibes and the, the singing and all that stuff are not as good as they might have been with ultras 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, people were murdering each other. Hillsborough, um, I mean, that's not necessarily the fault of the fans, but, you know, Hazel, also a very good example. Fans were murdering each other, like the classic in France uh, 10 years ago, and stuff was done. And look at where Manchester United, Liverpool, PSG are today. Drastic decisions were made, and they didn't please everyone, and they sidelined a lot of supporters. But we are back to normality and back to safe environments where we can bring kids to the stadium. You can bring the kids to the Bath de Prince and know that everything will be fine. Yes, you might hear a few insults here and there. And yes, it will cost you the price of your mortgage to go because the part of France is way too expensive at the moment. But that's what you get for, for watching Messi, Neymar and Mbappe every weekend. But and you know it's in a safe environment. If you go to Marseille, and this is not because I'm a Noel fan, but just generally because it's of his reputation, you're not some 100% sure that everything's going to be super safe. And that's a shame because Marseille, Nice, great clubs on the pitch and one of the best in terms of you know, singing and you know, everyone throughout Europe, especially this season, you look at social media, you look at 433 and all that stuff. They've put so many videos of Marseille singing this year, and I find that incredible. But then when, in reality, it's also the same accounts who are sharing Payet getting flung by a water bottle. I mean, this is great advertising for Cristaline. You know, it's, it's <laughs> at best. But what the hell? Come on, guys. Like, just get it together. Um, I know this is not a very French thing, but coordinate between people like come on you can do this like between the league the clubs um the federation the government the préfet and all that stuff you can work this out and even if it takes a bit of time and it takes a lot of kicking out of people you will eventually get a lot safer stadiums we're not going to have this the whole year in the best season of Liga in years and it's a shame it is a shame and uh and yeah like this incident yesterday really yeah really made me feel dirty because i actually genuinely thought that nice marseille and lance lille were were rock bottom and and i and you know i think that we're seeing as well like i said at the beginning that um the lyon fans the the actual fans the ultra knew not to go crazy uh you know there was there was uh we've we've seen some um some announcement made in the uh in the stands where they were saying don't throw anything da, 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 and then somebody comes and uh and spoils it all by uh, by just being stupid anyway this is this is a, a good segment of uh of this uh of this pot done uh so yeah if you if you didn't know what was happening in uh in france you can see that uh, uh it's not all all rainbows but um but everyone, I think, is aware that this is not what uh, we want Ligue 1 to be known for uh, on, like you said, one of the best Ligue 1 seasons that we've had in a, in a few years. Let's move on to actual football because football was played uh, this uh, this weekend. Uh, the other nine games were played. We're just going to focus on, I guess, um, four teams that are, that you know, with Lyon and Marseille, uh, have a lot to be said about in the beginning of the season. Uh, two of them were playing against each other, Monaco and Lille. Uh, so the game finished in uh, in 2-2, and it was a, a real a real game of two halves. Um, 
that Jonathan David's goal is ninth and tenth goal in the opening ten minutes, a penalty at the fifth minute, uh, and uh, and a goal after a, a pretty uh, a pretty solid uh, through ball by Jago Jago at the ninth minute. And then uh, Crepin Jata scored at the 41st minute to put Monaco back on track. And Wissam Ben Yedder, who else? Um, Loveold at the 83rd minute, five minutes after uh, Pavlovic had taken a red card. Uh, 70 shots for Monaco, eight on target. 15 shots for Lille, eight on target as well. Uh, Monaco with a slight advantage at the at the ball possession. Uh, and like I said, a bit of a game of two halves with, uh, with Lille dominating with Nathan David uh, centimeters away from actually scoring a hat trick in in the first half hour but he lost his duel with uh, with Alexander Nubel uh, and then that second half where uh, Lille kind of like stopped playing hardly recognizable uh, at the start Louis II and let Monaco uh, slowly come back Folland almost scored also before uh, before Benyeder did uh, and uh, and Lille again who who loses points where they should have kept them even on that goal from uh, Ben Yedder. Uh, it's at the near post. It's on the, an, a narrow angle, and you feel like Gerbich uh, should have been able to to save that one. Uh, those two teams are playing twice this week, of course. Uh, Monaco will be playing against Real Sociedad uh, midweek and then hosting Strasbourg, uh, and Lille will be playing against Salzburg uh, um, and then Nantes. Um, Tom, those are two teams that last year were fighting for the title. I mean, Lille won the title. Uh, those are also two teams that are doing well on the European scene, I guess somewhat somewhat surprisingly. I don't think we expected Lille and Monaco to do so well when we see what they're doing in Liga. Uh, but domestically, um, they're struggling. Monaco is not dropped yet from the race. They're only a few points back. Uh, but Lille is in the second half um, of the table. Two, two very different scenarios. Uh, in Monaco, only the goalkeeper changed. In Lille, the main coach left and the one that replaced him is probably a bit undervalued compared to uh, to the one who was there before. Um, talking about Monaco first and, and then Lille, um, how do you feel those two teams are going? Where do you feel the, the issue lays for uh, for Monaco and Lille? Uh, two very different issues. I mean, to start with Lille, I think obviously the manager was there for a lot of it. Um, also losing out to and losing Mike Menon, Eve, uh, not, not Bisuma, um, Sumari, sorry, um, also left uh, the club and uh, Sumari not as much, but Mike Mania was a big element uh, last year. Uh, obviously, the new keepers come in and it's done okay, but certainly not at the level of Mike Mania. Um, the squad is aging. Uh, some players aren't doing as well as they did last year. I'm thinking of Renato Sanchez, for example, um, hasn't performed well this year. Um, but thank God for David, you know, David has, has done quite well uh, this year and, and Ikone and, and Bamba are trying their best to, to reconnect their form. But when people were screaming for Yilmaz to be part of the season last year, look at where he is today. Um, yeah, it, it's, it does show how good, um, well, Galtier is and not necessarily how bad Gorvenek is. Uh, I just think he's a bit out of his depth or he's at his you know, at his level and that Lille are maybe not supposed to be fighting for the title every year because they're not. But I think they're definitely better than this, I don't think. But they're close, you know. It's Lyon are, are, you know, obviously missing a game, but they are ninth with 19 points and Lille are very far behind with only two points behind. So 
it, it's, it's still very close to the start of the year. I, don't, I think they had a slow start because they need to rekindle that form they had last year and, and trying to re-understand how everyone works together. Uh, but I think they missed that bit. Special player. Like, yes, Andre is still doing okay. David is doing well, but they need to get the ball to them. And even defensively, it's not quite as solid as it was last year. I never really believed in Govanek in the first place, and I knew that this was going to be chaos. But I will give him that. You know, getting a result in Sevilla, impressive. Um, and it looks like they might go through if everything goes okay. But they could also concede five goals to Adeyemi this week. So who knows? Um, but yeah, I'm surprised by the European the European ties, and I think they'll eventually. I think they might make it. Um, I think for them, it's best that they try and go through to the next round of Champions League, maybe get knocked out in the last 16. That's a good run, good bit of money to get back into the club. That's okay. If they got into the Europa League, they might have a chance to go far, um, which is good and bad because I think they will struggle with the lack of depth, um, which is wasn't an issue last year because they didn't play in Europe. So they, they will struggle uh, in the league if they start going far in Europe League and then who knows where they're going to finish. I don't know if the objective this year is to get into Europe again, but definitely going to be very far from that. I think uh, there's a at least a good four, five, six teams who are better than them this year and it would surprise me if they made it into Europe, even Conference League. Um, they, they, had, they, had, they had Europe last year and they, uh, they had a good start. Because they, you know, they That's won it, in Milan, yeah. uh, etc., and then they lost to Ajax. Weirdly, and I think I think exactly to what you're saying, uh, because they faced a moment where it almost looked like Galce was like, "We have a real shot at winning the title." So maybe we don't put all our money on trying to beat Ajax uh, right. in the Europa League and then uh, and then get there. But uh, but I think you're definitely right. If they uh, if they do go through and and then get knocked out on the round of 16 of Champions League, at least they have a chance to. Uh, to go back up on the table at For the sure. end and to not finish uh, too, too, too low, far. I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, um, exactly. For Monaco, it's it's a whole other conversation. I think they overperformed last year. Uh, I, On the other hand, I really do believe in Kovac, and I think he's a fantastic manager. I also think they got really lucky at the end of the season with Leon being such a terrible team. Um, <laughs> But they they would have deserved definitely Europe League spot uh, last year at least because they had an amazing run at the end of the 2020 uh, in the uh, 2019 at the end of that year uh, they really got things back into place and went on a solid run. Um, I don't know. There's there's something there's some players that I'm just not over the moon with in this team. Uh, yes, there's a few very good elements. Sofian Diop, one of a kind. Chouameni, great player. Ben Yedder somehow still score goals. I, I'm not too convinced at times. Voland, I'm definitely not too convinced anymore. Uh, I think the duo worked well at times, but not so much anymore. Defensively, I, I just don't know how they're not conceding more. It is it is shocking. Uh, Newbel has done okay, but he's, he's struggling at times with his with his feet, and that's the thing he was recruited for. I I don't believe in Monaco this year. Like seeing what Ren are doing, especially I think those are the two clubs to sort of compete in terms of we've got decent amount of money and good recruitment, but we can't really push for a title. Uh, so I think those are the two teams that will be fighting together, and I definitely think Ren have a big advantage this year. 
Um, but who knows with Monaco? Sometimes they surprise us, turn things around. PSV, I watched them recently really well and was really out of nowhere. Um, so I think they'll go far in the Europa League and maybe drop a few points in the league. And I hope for them they actually make it to Conference League because otherwise without Europe, Monaco could lose a lot of talent this summer. Yeah, and, and I think the, the defensive issue, I don't... I understand why it wasn't solid. We saw it last year that, you know, it took them 20 games to get their act together. Uh, you know, Dizazi and Badiashili, excuse me, and, and Maripan. And uh, and they got Pavlovich. Maybe they thought that that was the answer. Unfortunately, he got red carded this week. But even since the beginning of the season, he hasn't been the most consistent. He's tied with a, with a, with a good game and then wasn't that good anymore. So, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, Kovac being himself uh, defensive-minded, supposedly, um, maybe he sees something in them that we're not seeing and he's hoping that that's going to uh, to fix itself. I mean, he's giving this as it, uh, the armband, so he must see things that um, that we don't see on the weekend when he when he missed clearances and uh, and all that. Um, you, you were talking about Rennes. We're going to go and we're going to go to Rennes because they are one of the um, one of the good stories of of Ligue 1 this season uh, with. Uh, with their little um, Lyon school, all the all the Lyon alumni who, uh, who went to Rennes and uh, and make sure to get their little revenge, sweet revenge before the uh, uh, international break. Rennes was playing against Montpellier this weekend, uh, and Rennes won 2-0. The goal scorer Martin Terrier from uh, uh, Lyon uh, and uh, Lovro Maggier, the probably uh, already nominated and winner of uh, revelation of the season in uh, in Ligue 1. Uh, Terrier won at the score at the eighth minute, Maggier at the 28th. Uh, things went uh, from bad to worse for Montpellier when the captain Teji Savanier was sent off at the 41st minute for a second um, yellow card. Ren with 68% possession, 30 shots, only seven on target, but 30 shots, uh, only four shots for Montpellier and, and two on target. Um, under Genesio, Ren look like they found their grooves. They're not really a star in the team. Uh, but it looks like it's all hard work. You know, it's it's praising the Bourijo and the Flaviente, uh, Gaëtan Laborde, of course, who, who went from Montpellier to Rennes and just kept doing what he does. Uh, defensively, Nayef Aguer, it's, it's a young team. It's a team, um, it's the, the team in the Big Five that plays the most under-21 um, players. And at first, he seemed a little bit timid. You know, the Conference League, they get Vitesse Arnhem, they get... Uh, Tottenham and Murat and you're thinking oh that's going to be such a complicated year for them uh, and then there they are scoring goals plenty, uh, getting through those teams quite easily um, getting some marquee results against Lyon, against Montpellier um, you you have as a Lyon supporters I've seen firsthand Florian Maurice as a uh, sporting director and Bruno Genesio uh, as a coach Um What's working here? I mean, it, it has worked to an extent in Lyon. Uh, what's working well in Rennes with, with those two? We don't understand what the hell's going on. <laughs> why why is this working so well? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the the Tonton Flanger, we like to call them. Yeah, it's uh, the, the eternal duo of, uh, of Flor Maurice and, and Pep Genesio. We, we don't understand why it's working. Um, I mean, good on them. You know, Genesio, I, I, yes, I didn't support him much as a manager. I think he had his limitations. Uh, yes, he got us two wins against Manchester City and good on him. Uh, but I think when you look back at the team that we had at the time, um, and Dombele, Awar, Lacazette, Memphis, 
Toliso, you know, all that stuff, you wonder why we didn't go any further. Um, answer is Maxwell Corne, but that's a, <laughs> um, that's a whole other conversation. Um, no, I, I'm happy for him because um, you know he wasn't good enough for Leon, but I think he's. This is no disrespect to Ren. I think uh, no one will will say that Ren are necessarily a bigger club than Leon, at least on paper. Um, but you know, good on him that he's doing so well. And it's such great road of talent. There's you know, Manager is, is is really really good. Laborde, we all knew that he'd be a great player, and I would have liked him at Leon. I think um, I don't know if he would have had a main role, but no one expected Dembele to be out injured this long as well. So you know, uh, it would have been a good backup. Um, there's so many great players in there. Suleimana as well, I think he's called. Um, there's, uh, I mean, obviously, there's very good players everywhere you go, and and they recruit very well. And as you said, Major is definitely a revelation of the season. Uh, I wasn't particularly impressed to start with with having Flaviante and Bourjo as like the sitting midfielders, um, but then you know everyone's like, oh, we're going to score six against them, and then oh dear. Is that what's going to happen? Okay, lovely. Um, there's so much width, um, there's, there's pace, there's uh, attacking football, exciting football. Um, the one thing I always worry about, and I've been following Ligue 1 for 15 years, is that Ren usually self-combust at some point around March. So I wouldn't get too excited. I mean, yes, they are doing very well, and they might even finish first of their group in Conference League, which is impressive when you've got Tottenham in there. I mean, Tottenham had a conversation, but um, <laughs> it's it's promising for them. Martin Terry is actually scoring for them, and I'm really happy for him. There's a great defence. Uh, you know, a lot of representatives of the Espoir team at the moment, and I watch them quite frequently, and it's great. Um, do I see them necessarily finishing podium? Definitely not. Yeah, hands up, they won't finish in, in the podium. They will get Europe. There's no doubt about it. Um, I hope that it's not at the expense of Lens or Lyon. Um, or Lyon for obvious reasons, but also because I think Lens have done so well this year and are very exciting and have a whole other project, which is really nice to see. Uh, but, you know, when something in Ren really works, then hats off to them. You know, I remember that season where they had um, the Grenier, Benafa, Nyong up front as well. That was really exciting as well. And I'm seeing shades of that again. So good recruitment, solid management, a healthy club, a really healthy club. Um, wealthy club as well, but that's, you know, <laughs> um, you know also good. Uh, and, and just something that seems to work. Will it work long term? I hope for them. I think the fact that they've got Laborde now shows that they've got out and out striker, which is also something they really missed at times. But sometimes they do self combust, and you have to hope for them that it's at, as late as possible, um, or that they do it now and that they know what they're doing, and then they, <laughs> and they come go back. back into it. But Genesio, I have to say, usually is quite good in the final straights. Um, of the league, he's done it very well with Leon. Uh, so who knows with them? But um, hats off to them, it's a great project and a good to watch, and it's refreshing to watch them play this well. That second goal was uh, was beautiful by Laurent Madger. The uh, combination Absolutely. between Truffert and, and Bourizo, and then Bourizo dribbles into the box and uh, cross on the second second post, and um, 
laboured instead of trying to put it in, just uh, handing it back in the middle for Major was just showed, I guess, that the yeah. team um, enjoys playing together. And great supporters. And it's a team, great yeah, supporters. As well, that's true. Uh, no, no issue, no issue in red this season. It's uh, no, no, it's any, no issues in red. If it's any sure. measure of, uh, unfortunately, it is now a measure of judgment. But yeah, definitely a great, great fans at the the Roazen Park. Uh, and they're recording the the return of uh, Jeremy Doku this week as mm. well, uh, which is another attacking threat uh, that's going to to play a role. I agree with you that you know you got to hope that it's going to to stand. I think my to for me the only one thing in Rennes that can cause an issue. Um, is Alfred Gomis the, the goalkeeper? Uh, well, he's going to be away in uh, in January, uh, early Feb for the Afcon. Uh, and and with all due respect, he's just not at the level of Edouard Mendy. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not easy to be at the level of Edouard Mendy. And it was big big shoes to fill when he when he came there. Uh, you you're, you're wondering what they're going to to do if he doesn't have a good game every week. He had a couple of good saves against Montpellier, but he's not been uh, perfect all season. So uh, so yeah, like you said. They're good at forgetting their football. They are, you know, all uh, very good Ligue 1 players. Um, and, and as we know, For Ligue 1 sure. players, uh, sometimes they're stuck in Ligue 1 because they don't have the consistency of being that good for a whole season. Um, so we'll see we'll see where they end. Uh, Tom, the last game that I want you and me to to talk about and uh, the last game, the last club, I guess, because there's a lot to say as well. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, PSG, who play against Nantes this weekend and won... 3-1 uh, and 1-3-1 in typical PSG fashion with uh, dominating and then letting things go and then being really, uh, scared and, and all of a sudden get a little bit of luck to, to score. At the end, Mbappé had scored at the second minute uh, and then uh, Randall Colomani equalized at the 76th minute, 10 minutes after Keylor Navas had taken his first red card since joining PSG a, a few years back. Uh, Denis Apia scored at the 81st, the own goal of the year, probably a, a tackle from outside the box uh, that came and lobbed his own goalkeeper, and uh, and Messi with a uh, with a very messy goal at the 87, 87 minutes. Excuse me, finally uh, opened his uh, his tally in Ligue 1, uh, 67% possession for Paris Saint Germain, so they did dominate. Uh, 14 shots, seven on target, and, and 12 shots for Nantes, um, six on target. Mbappé scores the fastest goal of his career um, with a bit of a maybe a lucky deflection. Um, the rest of the game is basically Alban Lafont frustrating everyone uh, in uh, all the forwards of Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, but then again with Paris Saint-Germain, the second half happens and they sort of kind of stop playing, leave themselves open for Nantes. Navas, I don't know what he did. He just really badly judged that one. The way he jumps out of the of the box is nowhere near the ball. I'm just really wondering what he's doing. But uh, but I, I guess, and I, I want to ask you that as well. Is it you know the the consequence of changing goalkeeper every single game? You know, you you might touch a little bit on their confidence and touch a little bit on their uh, on how they get along with the defender. Maybe you didn't trust uh, Kerrer on that one because Kerrer wasn't that far from Colomani. Um, and uh, and then from uh, Ludwig Blatt, excuse me. Uh, and then besides that, Colomani scores and a bit of luck. Um, they come back, and that's what we've seen all season right now with uh, with Paris Saint Germain. They they don't dominate. They still get the win thanks to their um, individual um, geniuses because because they are that good. Uh, and then as usual, you got all the off the pitch stuff. Um, Messi who made that weird comment before the game saying that. Now that Argentina is qualified for the World Cup, he can focus on Paris Saint-Germain, which is 
the most disrespect I've ever heard for a club. Like I don't think any other club in France would accept that from a player. Uh, but but mind you, two hours later he scores a goal. So so you know what else do you want? Um, and uh, and then um, Pochettino now, uh, who's heavily linked to um, supposedly going to United. Uh, so much so that Paris Saint-Germain had to release a statement saying that they trust Pochettino and that they want him to keep the job. Um, what's what's Paris Saint-Germain doing this season? They've they've been they're somehow the least impressive of the past years, and they win every single game. Is that is that the dynamic that we're going to have all season? What do you think? Uh, that's probably the dynamic we're going to get all season, and I think unfortunately that might mean a crash out in the Champions League around the quarterfinal stage would be terrible for them. Um, this is one of the worst PSG teams I have seen in a long time. There is The way it was built, even if you try building this on Ultimate Team, you're going to get a bad team. Like it, It's just, the like I have no issues with Herrera, Jay, Danilo, but just not the most exciting midfield you will get in PSG history. I'm thinking back of that. 2015-2016 under Laurent Blanc, you've got the Zlatans, Cavani, um, you've got that wide player is going to be like a Lavezzi, it's going to be a Pastore. Uh, in midfield, you've got Motta, Matuidi and Verratti, and that's probably the best PSG midfield we've had under Qatari um, holding. Um, and then the strong defence, like an all-Brazilian defence of Maxwell, Alex, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos. Like, it doesn't get much better than that. Yes, you could get an actual goalkeeper because Kevin Trapp was not a goalkeeper, but you know, you do what we can. At the moment, it's it's a big mix match of bad things. Um, yes, up front, Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, incredible, but they don't play together. Like Mbappe is at his absolute prime at the moment. We've watched him with France, he is unplayable. But the other two are just there to enjoy the show. You know, you mentioned it before that now that Argentina is qualified, he's going to actually play. Yeah, okay, he's going to score his goal. But did he really try that much for it? No, he, you know, he picks up the ball against a very tight defense, runs in two steps because he's not a run all game, kicks in about a quarter. Yeah, great. He's, his biggest run on that um, whole section is to the public to celebrate his goal. There, there is no debate about that. I'm disappointed. I think that the fact that Messi's come in, you're like, okay, now they might have an attacking threat, might actually playing some football. Great. But when you see Leonardo say a few weeks ago, who cares that we're not playing well? We're getting the results. You're like, well, yes and no. I mean, the big European teams all have a very good plan. And it doesn't feel like PSG a plan, even if it's a defensive plan. You know, I'm thinking of Chelsea's uh, Di Matteo's Chelsea 2012. Very defensive, very counter-attacking, but that was the plan. Um, you know, uh, Bayern Munich obviously very good in, in attacking positions and so on, and always got the ball. Has an attacking mind. Barcelona as well. Real Madrid were never very impressive, but actually had a plan. They knew what they were doing to win games in the end. PSG just don't know what they're doing. They're just relying on the fact that, yeah, the attacking output is always going to be better than uh, Palois and whoever's up against them. Uh, so it is frustrating. It really is because you'd want for them to, like, we know they're going to win the league. 
would you want them to be an actual good team winning the league? You know, watch Lille last year. It wasn't particularly exciting, but at times it played well. Yeah, they they, they were champions with what they had. Uh, PSG the year before played okay, but since Cavani's left, I think I, I haven't seen really PSG play all that well football. Um, I think especially since maybe Ancelotti or Laurent Blanc, the football has not been great. Um, and the choice of managers don't help. So obviously they're going to hang on to Pochettino, who is probably their best option they can get at the moment. Like if they get rid of him, uh, if he leaves to Manchester United, who are they going to get? You know, um, bring up Kamara from like the under 19? <laughs> probably not. Um, so there's not really much on offer uh, at the moment for PSG. And it's a shame because I think they can do so much better. Uh, but they will continue playing like this and they will get a few hiccups here and there. I think not could have got a draw out of it. Uh, I think they got a, was it Trois who should have got a draw at the start of the season as well? Leon should have won, or should have won easily. It still frustrates me today, but they should have won. Um, there's so many times where PSG just get away with murder just because they have slightly better players than everyone else and yeah a few referee decisions but that's that not the only reason they're really <laughs> <Leo> fan <laughs> yes yes that was definitely not a penalty um but like there's you know just generally it's frustrating and i think it's a shame for the rest of the league because the anything below psg plays exceptionally well even leon um are incredible at disaster they, they self-combust in a way that no one knows how they do it. But when Lyon play well, they play super well. Lens, Rennes, um, even Monaco at times, um, everyone plays really good football. And it's a shame that the actual team who is representing us throughout the globe, in China, UK, US, don't know how to string two passes between each other. My, my theory since the beginning has been that... Um, they they don't they don't care about right now they don't care about between now and february march and all they want is to be ready for the quarterfinals the the famous burst that they get every single year because that's what matters to them this is the year before the world cup in qatar this is the year that qatar probably came up and was like right here's here's your christmas gift here's messi now go and win the champions league for me that's always been my my theory that whatever's happening now doesn't matter because all those players are being told do whatever as long as we don't get ridiculous and that we don't go all the way down the rafters we're going to keep the squad the way it is and you have to be ready for the Champions League but we haven't seen actual good football played if anything Paris Saint-Germain has been at their best when they played counter-attacking football against Manchester City and they won and they won 2-0 and that's saying that with the fact that they don't have a very good defense. Marquinhos, in my opinion, is the only good defender in that squad. Kipembe is not at the level he's supposed to be. Kerrer is not at the level he's supposed to be. Sergio Ramos, we haven't seen yet, although he's in the group for City this week. Um, and Akimi and um, whether it's um, Nuno Mendes or Juan Bernat are offensive wingers, not um, not, not left backs. Um, is it is it? The solution for them is it just grind the points uh, and only focus on the Champions League because this is what they've been chasing for now ten years. Uh, and uh, and you know I'm not saying that Qatar is leaving after um, the World Cup, but uh, but it's definitely the end of their um, sort of like soft plan of uh, of 
giving their image nice and and uh, and, and dare I say laundering their image um, to make sure that the World Cup goes okay in, in 2022. Uh, can they do that? Do you think? Can they actually turn up? Can Sergio Ramos all of a sudden be in form when it comes to March and all those players rise to the occasion, which is something that most of them have done? I mean, the, the squad of Paris Saint-Germain, I think, has won over 10, 10 Champions League, uh, while Paris Saint-Germain hasn't won any. I wouldn't be so sure that Qatar doesn't leave after the World Cup. I think there is <laughs> a debate there. I think PSG will be completely fine without them. Um and would still be by far the richest club in the in the league because of uh, financial sponsors and so on. I mean, some sponsors might leave, you know, Orodou and and Dubai and Fly Emirates. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, in terms of grinding out results, the thing is with grinding out results is that it works here and there, and it works for Burnley to get out of relegation. It works for. Jose Mourinho to get a second spot in in the Premier League with Manchester United. It works with Genesio to get into the top three with Leon. I, I don't know, but if you actually want to push for something, you've got to put that plan into action for it to work, to try it, for things to to fail, and they will fail if you try stuff. Um, but eventually, by trying, you will get there eventually. You know, I think there's a lot of things that was that were put negatively on on Laurent Blanc, for example, for trying his three-five-two in those latter stages of the Champions League back then. But he tried something, and he knew it might work. And to be honest, if it were, weren't for De Bruyne, he would have got through, and he would have been you know the best manager since um, I don't know, you know Hidalgo uh, since 1984. <laughs> um, so. You need to try these things. You need to try playing with three at the back um, on a weekend against Nantes. And yes, it might fail. You might lose a few results, but don't play security all the time. Uh, because firstly, at the moment, it's not always working. You know, yes, you're getting results, but you nearly lost to Bruges, which was ridiculous. You nearly lost to Leipzig. You probably should have lost to Leipzig. Um the one good game this season, as you said, was counter-attacking football against Manchester City. And that's probably what they should try and do. But they need to train that. They need to get the players into positions. Yes, they might need to integrate Ramos at some point and say, OK, well, you're going to start being the leader of men. You put a Ramos, Marquinhos defence. Fuck, that's amazing. Like, it's just, yes. Even if you put Kimpembe uh, as a third centre-back, that's going to be great. Like Ramos, yes, isn't the best centre-back in the world at the moment, but he's an incredible leader of men. And he will be on the player, he'll be defending hard, and he'll be bringing the ball out forwards, and I'll be great for counter-attacking football. Um, you'll have a deep-lying central midfielder in the heart of your defence named Sergio Ramos, with all his experience and all the titles he's got. And you've got great wing-backs, you know, Bernat, Nuno Mendes, Hakimi, even Colin Dagba, I don't think he's actually that bad. Um, but you need to try these things. If you keep on playing security, um, it's not going to work. Now, yes, you will fail a few times. You know, Bosch keeps on trying stuff. Look at the results against Ren. Complete failure. But he tried something. Um, but if they don't try anything and they get by March and they say, oh, let's just fling in uh, 2 7 2, decide that we're going to play with five attackers, Di Maria is going to play in goal. Um, whatever um, 
because that's a whole other you know goalkeeper they need to settle something because <laughs> that as you said earlier is it because he's not in confidence and he's trying to do those things i think he's inspired by the best goalkeeper in the league anthony lopez you know true inspiration to <laughs> navas at the moment but you need to try things and you need to settle a team that will work and not just try and put stuff all over the place and just decide oh yeah pure talent's going to work it won't work against Bayern Munich in the latter stages. He got lucky last year because Lewandowski wasn't there, but otherwise they're not getting through. They, they won exceptionally well against the worst Barcelona team in the decade, but you saw against Manchester City, they were out of their depth. If you play Chelsea, you play Liverpool, you play Manchester City, maybe even a good Real Madrid, you will lose in the latter stages of the Champions League if you don't try things beforehand and try and decide what your game plan is. If it's attacking, uh, counter-attacking football, let it be attack, counter-attacking football. You need to decide that at some point rather than just mix-matching. Uh, I, I think he's one of the managers that changes up uh, his team so often in the league. Like He keeps on a few things he just flings there and he's like, ah, I'll be fine. Um, it doesn't help that he's got players who are constantly injured. Verratti, Neymar, Messi. It doesn't help. you got to feel bad for Pochettino at times, but... At some point, he's got to settle for something. And the thing is, he knows how to do it. Southampton, he had a game plan. Tottenham, he got to the Champions League final by having a game plan. Yes, the game plan was put Lucas Moura up front and hope he scores goals. It worked. <laughs> he's got Mbappe. He's got Neymar. He's got Messi. It's not Lamella, Lucas, and whoever the hell they had in the Tottenham team. They got to the Champions League final. So settle for something and try stuff now rather than in March when it'll be too late. There's a bit of a, a hard run coming for Paris Saint-Germain right now. They're, they're traveling to City, of course, in Champions League. Then they're going to Saint-Etienne this weekend. Uh, and then they receive, uh, they host Nice uh, midweek next week. They go to Lens after that. And then they host Bruges, who's, who by the time will be basically fighting for a spot either on Europa League or in Champions League. So I, I feel like it is one of those moments where we're going to see um, what PSG is made of. Uh, if they do want to be that um, counter-attacking team, I feel like it's the time to try it. Uh, you know, you play against City, for sure you're going to be defending. Uh, Saint-Etienne is in form, so you could actually let them have the ball. Uh, God knows if you leave the ball to Nice, Nice doesn't know what to do with it. Um, so, so, it's, <laughs> so it's a good way to to, to score, but yeah, they, they don't need there, so that, that's what they should do. And then Lance is, is good. So I think it'd be interesting to see how they how they deal with this um I'll, I'll be i'll be really interesting to see what pochettino does i mean i feel like if you're in his position um in summer you're linked with tottenham you stay in paris and and you should stay with you know not everyone's going to be coaching messi neymar and Mbappe. um and now he's being offered the the manchester united job um probably the last the last question for you on, on this pod is this a little bit of a uh, of an exit that he has to take? I mean, he's got everything to lose at Paris because he needs to win the Champions League and Ligue 1 this season to create a success. If he doesn't win either or, people will think that he failed in his job at Paris Saint-Germain. Whether if he leaves now to Manchester United, he goes into another project where not much is expected of him with the state of things at Old Trafford. Um, and, and his image in Paris won't be too tarnished. I mean, that said, people who leave Paris Saint-Germain end up winning Champions League and Europa Leagues. 
Um, but um, but do do you think it's it's an exit that he should be taking, or do you think he should hang on and and see the year? Um, unfortunately, you're so Manchester United fan, I'm not sure I want Pochettino in my club at the moment. But uh, <laughs> um, but leave the bias aside. Uh, I think he should stay in Paris. Like not biased at all. Like I'm just saying. Like yeah, I think he needs to try this right until the end. As you said, you know, not everyone's going to get an opportunity to manage this kind of squad um, in his lifetime, especially with Messi. Like, you're not going to be managing Messi for many few years. Um, so try until the end. Uh, yes, he might fail later at the Champions League and then get something slightly lower, you know, um, maybe not Manchester United. I think next summer Manchester United will get a better manager than Pochettino. Um but maybe something back at the level of Tottenham or something new to try and go to Spain. I'm, I'm sure he'll be great at like Sevilla or, um, you know, something at that level of just about pushing for top three spots, maybe challenging for the league if you've got a few things. He's not actually tried all that much in Spain from my recollection. I don't think he's actually managed all that much. Um, I'm not sure he'd be any good in Italy, but definitely something... A slightly lower, um, where there's a good solid project with history with a bit of funding where you can get a backing. I'm sure it'd be great in Sevilla actually, or something at that level. Um, I don't know, I don't see anyone, I don't see uh, change at Atletico Madrid anytime soon, but um, you know, something at that level, uh, would be great for him. And you know, who knows, you might get the Real Madrid opportunity as well. You, you don't know what Ancelotti does these days, so. I think there's he needs to try until the end and actually try stuff and say, yeah, I tried something. It failed. I also had a very difficult squad to manage. Yes, it's talented, but the egos are difficult and it's not his main thing. You know, you put Zidane in that position. Yeah, PSG would would go far because Zidane knows how to manage egos. He's not a great tactician, though, but. You know, um, but yeah, no, Petrucino needs to try until the end and yeah, live until you're a villain, I guess, if that's the expression, you know, uh, live long enough to be a villain. So he's got to try it, even if his legacy is slightly tarnished at the end. I don't think his legacy actually is that good at the moment. You know, he's anyway, been, yeah. he's been what? He's been a year in the club. Uh, he lost the yeah, league, something he shouldn't be doing. Um, got somewhat ridiculed in the semi final of the Champions League. So I don't think leaving now would be even any good for his legacy. You know, if that's what he's trying to protect, I don't think his legacy is actually that good at PSG at the moment. So try until the end, even if it gets worse. Yeah, and at least uh, at least get the the Ligue 1 back in Paris, which seems to be um, sure. already a given. Fourteen yeah. games in. Tom, thank you very much for uh, this chat. Thanks for uh, coming on Castellini and. Uh, and talking the, the good and the less good things um, about Ligue 1. If you want to um, to quickly uh, pl plug in the OL pod, when is it going to be released? Oh, uh, well, I mean, we were trying to really, uh, to record one for tonight, uh, but we didn't feel there was enough content with uh, last night's uh, debor debacle, uh, so we might mention it next time. Um, but there's definitely a few episodes you can catch up on. Uh, we did a big bumper episodes just before the just in the middle of the 
international break and there will be an episode after our next uh, games whether it's uh, it's qualifying for the next round in europe league or uh, our game next weekend so the foot uh, the football english uh, is is the at and you can find everything on my twitter at tomabady98 uh, on twitter so that's about it Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much for uh, giving us your time and for coming on Castle Ligne. Uh, and I look forward to uh, recording more pods with you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom, once again for coming in the pod and uh, sharing your thoughts about the state of things in Ligue 1 and in French football. There was a few more games played this weekend that I'm going to cover, uh, I guess, a little bit faster than usual, but some very interesting results. We're going to go to Brittany to start. Brest was hosting Lens, and Brest, who is killing it these days, and who won uh, 4-0 against Lens. The goal scorer, Steve Mooney, at the third minute, Brendan Chardonnay at the 13th, Romain Fèvre, the 33rd, and Jérémy Ledoiron at the 69th. Lance, who finished the game with only 10 men, with Kalimundo getting a red card at the 74th minute. Lance with the main, uh, the majority of the possession, 64%, 14 shots, 5 on target, and Brest, 13 shots, only 5 on target. The Pirates of Brest on fire, uh, you know, 3 wins in a row after that terrible series of 15 winless games. A very, very entertaining game um, at, um, oh, I can't remember the start of... Um, of Brest now, oh, he gave back to me. Anyway, in Brittany, um, the, the game style all guns blazing with that header from Mounier at the third minute. Uh, Lance was very close to uh, to equalizing quite quickly with uh, Frankowski, of course, who else? Uh, but the ball was saved on the line and then Chardonnay went on with his header. Um, the goal from Romain Fèvre is beautiful. If you if you watch, if you see a couple of goals this weekend, don't miss the, the Fèvre one from the edge of the box. Uh, beautifully swerved ball uh, to get past Leca. Um, and again, Lance really trying to get back to it, but uh, but Brest with another save on their line. Uh, Fofana hit the post as well. Um, Lance tried to sort of stay in the game with, with Leka, um, winning his 1v1 against Honora. Uh, but at the very end, or at the very end rather, with 20 minutes left, uh, Jérémy Ledoiron, beautiful goal, powerful run, powerful shot. Um, you know, no choice uh, for, for Leka, nothing Leka could do. Uh, and, and the assist coming from Marco Bizo, the, the goalkeeper. I think it's the only goalkeeper to have an assist in Ligue 1 um, this season. Uh, after that, of course, like I said, Kalimendo did get a first uh, red card of his career. Um, it's the third loss away in a row for Lens. Um, they lose their spot on the podium um, with that rather severe defeat. I mean, some, some say a bit harsh, but there was definitely a few defensive mistakes uh, that are unlike Lens, maybe... Maybe, you know, after the international break, maybe a little bit of um, lack of focus. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure they'll come bigger and stronger next week at the Stade Bollard when they are hosting Angers. Brest will try and make it four in a row when they are traveling to Bordeaux. Really, really good results for uh, Der Zakai on that win against Lens. And definitely not something anybody would have predicted. In the northeast now, Strasbourg was hosting Reims and the final score was 1-1. Ekitike scored first for Reims at the 22nd minute and Strasbourg was able to equalize at the very, very, very end of the game, 97th minute, by Bellegarde, 68% possession for Julien Stéphane's men, 21 shots, only 3 on targets, and for Reims, 10 shots, 
3 on target. Reims are the draw specialists of Ligue 1 with a 7th draw this season. Uh, definitely thought they would have all 3 points until the, the dying embers of that game. Um, Strasbourg before the international break was definitely on a, on a good run. Uh, but early on, Ekitike, who was freshly called up with the um, under-21 international, although he hasn't played, so technically he doesn't have a cap yet, uh, was the one who scored on a counter-attack uh, for the visitors. Strasbourg had a lot of the ball. Um, they just really struggled to get on target, as the as the um, the stats shows, 21 uh, shots and only three on target. Uh, they, they even missed a penalty just before halftime. Kevin Gamero um, blazed it over the, left, the, the crossbar. And in the second half, they started the same way. They really tried to, um, to you know, push and, and to put that pressure on Reykjavik uh, and, and couldn't find the, the goal until that very, very last minute. Uh, and a, a set piece that, I mean, sort of seemed danger-free, 25-minute free kick. Uh, but Belgaard really, really took it well, um, curled it around, curved it around the wall and, and found the back of the net. Kind of looks like Reykjavik is a bit late on it and it kind of looked like he could have um, stopped it, but at, at the end of the day, can't prevent the late equalizer. 1-1, um, you know, Strasbourg was dominating, got their reward um, late in the game, uh, but we've definitely seen them more inspired, um, at least offensively. Tough one for Reims, I, I think, you know, for Oscar Garcia and his team, they, they fought the good fight to try and get their third win of the season, uh, but with that one point, they're only a point away from um, 19 spots Saint-Etienne. At the end of the week, Strasbourg will be traveling to Monaco and Reims will be hosting Clermont. Angers Lorient is next and a 1-0 win for the Angevin, the goal scorer Mangani on penalty at the 68th minute. A thunderous penalty that one. 54% possession for Angers, 8 shots, 4 on target and for Lorient, 10 shots, 3 on target. Both teams were in desperate need of a win. Angers uh, only had one win in uh, nine games before today, before this weekend, sorry. Uh, but they're the one who, who get the three points uh, in a game where basically the keepers were the heroes. Uh, Petkovic for Angers and, and Nardi for Lorient really inspired during that game. Uh, Nardi had made probably about six or seven really important um, like save and, and denial, I guess. Um, to, to make sure to keep this team in the game. Uh, it was the Ligue 1 debut for um, a defenseur, Lorient defenseur Loic. Unfortunately for him, it didn't. Uh, it wasn't the best first start with the foul on Cabo on the edge of the area that cost a penalty kick. And, uh, and Mangani, like I said, um, a really strong penalty kick taker who left Nardi no chance to, to get that ball. Angers is only four points from the podium, uh, but in the meantime, Lorient is only two points away from the relegation. Um, different fates for, for both teams. Angers will be traveling to Lens next week, and Lorient will be hosting Rennes. Complicated game for both these teams. The thriller of the weekend was at Saint-Symphorien, where Metz were hosting Bordeaux, and the final score 3-3. The goal scorer for Bordeaux first, Ellis at the 17th, and Houdin at the 39th and the 65th. Uh, Bordeaux was up 2-0 at one point, but Metz came back thanks to De Preville at the 45th minute, the former Bordeaux man, and Opa Enget with a doublé 51st and 70th minute. Uh, to note, Boulaya, the uh, Metz um, number 10, Got a red card at the 68th minute, 20 shots for Metz, 9 on target, 
19 shots for Bordeaux, 5 on target, and 13 in game, 55% ball possession for Bordeaux. Uh, it, it was a crazy game. Uh, you know, Mess usually don't like to play against Bordeaux. They did win in January, but before that, they were winless in 15 games against um, Les Girondins. Uh, and it didn't start uh, the best way for them. You know, Houdin, who was instrumental for Bordeaux during that game, um, gave the first goal to Ellis with a, a cross, or rather a, a pass in front of the goalkeeper. Uh, and then Houdin was involved in, in all the other goals. He scored his first goal of the day um, with way too much space in the box five minutes before halftime. Uh, Mess, you know, wasn't in the mood to, to give up, had definitely a few opportunities. Uh, and Depreville, who had been left free by Girondin, um, at, in summer, yeah, that was this summer. Uh, who was left free this summer and signed for for Metz, uh, was the one to uh, to bring Les Grenats back into the game, smashing a volley past Costil seconds before the halftime. In the second half, Metz pushed, trying to keep that momentum, and uh, the sub Opaengate, who had uh, got in at the 30th minute, uh, scored a, a nice little poacher's goal to level the game. That's his first goal of the season. Houdin um, uh, was the one to to be the hero for Bordeaux, with putting his team. Back in front 10 minutes later, uh, thanks to VAR, because the ref at first called that goal offside. Uh, and uh, and then after that, I think there was a bit of frustration in the mess side. And that frustration was expressed by Boulaya, who got recorded uh, for, for her temper and definitely an unnecessary, an unnecessary foul on Adli. Uh, Adli, who weirdly celebrating the send-off, maybe a little bit too much. Uh, and uh, and it kind of looked like Karma came back straight away uh, because 90 seconds later, um, Enget scored his second goal of the day to make that 3-3. Mess uh, with that 3-3 has so far conceded 30 goals in 14 league games, which is their worst defensive record in 60 years. Um, Bordeaux, um, you know, not flying either, only 13 points. Um, in 14 games, that's their lowest tally in the 21st century um, with 2011-2012 uh, and that time under Francis Gillo, Francis Gillo, excuse me, uh, although they started this bad, they did finish fifth. So maybe maybe a good man for Petkovic and his men. Um, Mess will be traveling to Nice next weekend and Bordeaux would be hosting Brest. In Champagne, Troyes was hosting Saint-Etienne and Saint-Etienne with another win, their first win away of the season thanks to uh, Trauco, a goal at the hour mark. You have to see that goal, one of the goals of the season. Uh, they happen every other week these days, uh, but a splendid shot from about 30 meters who basically smashed the top left corner. Uh, impossible to stop for, for Gallon. Uh, 15 shots for Troyes. 3 on target, 14 shots for Saint-Etienne, 4 on target, 54% position for Saint-Etienne. Uh, and Puel, who does keep his seat nice and warm, despite you know the, the cleanliness of his players, of his strikers, he, he gets some points finally. Uh, 12 points now, 19, but only one point from um, a few teams that are just in front of him. Crasso should have scored early, Northern hit the post, uh, it did look like everything was against Lever, um, but they kept pushing and in the second half that goal from Trauco at the 60th minute, uh, really worth, really worth the, watching the highlights. Um, it's Saint-Etienne's first clean sheet of the season 2, uh, it's an important milestone for, for Lever and it comes at the right time because uh, next week they're hosting the monster, Paris Saint-Germain. Trois, who were in a good run 
before the international break, although they lost the very last game, um, and they are now with the second straight loss, and they see uh, Saint-Etienne coming back just a point behind them, um, the bottom of the table is definitely uh, back to being a real battle. And the last game uh, of the weekend was uh, Clermont against Nice, or the last game that we um, covering at least. Uh, and Nice, who uh, came back from behind to win in Clermont, the goal scorer Ogier for Clermont at the 17th minute, and Gouiri scored twice for Nice at the 76th and 82nd minute. 52% position for Clermont. 18 shots, 6 on targets, only 9 shots for Nice, 4 on target. Despite that ball possession, the, the tactics, the, the game plan really seemed to be for Clermont to let Nice have the ball uh, and to process in, uh, in, in counter-attack or in, uh, at least in direct football uh, and, and with, with a nice little uh, peppering of intensity. Um, Ogier's goal um, was a header on set-piece 15 minutes in uh, and Nice really was uninspired and, and just couldn't find... The pollution, um, the pollution, the solution, excuse me. Um, they almost got punished. You know, Alevina, Bertonnier and Bayo uh, combine well offensively. We, we know them by now. Um, and a couple of times they get really close from uh, from pulling the ball past um, Benitez. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Uparin Joko, the young goalkeeper from Clermont who was playing uh, instead of De Demas, who was probably um, paying for his few questionable performances uh, after a few nice save Joko is uh, a little bit guilty on the first goal uh, from Guiri uh, a shot that was that seems stoppable I guess by, by the goalkeeper but unfortunately Joko could only push it onto his own net um, the second goal however um, pure duel uh, by Guiri uh, opens his foot from the edge of the box and finds the top right corner um, just just a beautiful goal for the um, young international Nice didn't impress. Um, nice didn't play the way you expect them to play since the beginning of the season. Uh, but they took the second spot of the ladder, and, and that's what matters. Um, they weren't convincing, and, and Galche um, said as much in a, in a post-game conference. He said that you know the most important thing is always to win. Um, they were. He said that they they also managed to sort of change the fate of the game against Angers when they were down one zero and they won two one. Uh, but they would rather uh, play better than um, and get those results, not not play bad and get those results. He's not very happy about their first time. He said that in the first uh, first half, sorry, he saw very little effort, very little um, intensity, um, and, and then he he's kind of happy that the second half was a little bit better, uh, especially after the hour mark when when he got his subs in. He's happy for the win, uh, but he's he's saying that you know people now are expecting them, starting to understand how they play. Uh, and so he, he's expecting his players to basically learn quickly and to make sure that um, that's not what happened every single weekend for Les Aiglons. Uh, nice will be hosting Metz next week while Clermont travels to Reims. Excuse me, I couldn't find it anymore. Uh, that's about it for all the Ligue 1 games. Let's have a quick look at what the tables look like now. So obviously, Lyon and Marseille uh, are a game down, but Paris Saint-Germain is on top with 37 points in uh, 14 games, 37 points out of 42 possible, uh, followed by Nice, 11 points behind with 26, and then Rennes, 25, Lens, 24, and Marseille with 23, and a game in hand. At the bottom of the table, uh, it's very tight. Uh, you got Metz with 9 points behind 
Saint-Etienne with 12 points. And then you got Clermont, Troyes, Bordeaux and Reims with 13 points. Uh, Brest and Lorient, 13 and 14 on the table with 15 points. Ant, um, you know, free of all, um, of all woes. At the goal scorer, on the goal scorer ladder, excuse me, Jonathan David with 10 goals. Jonathan David scored 10 out of the 18 goals scored by Lille um, this season. Instrumental for Ledoc, the, the Canadian international. Uh, so Jonathan David tops the, the ladder with 10 goals, followed by Guiri and Laborde with 8 goals each. And Kylian Mbappé is at the top of the assist ladder with 7 assists. Thank you for listening again to Casselelinie. Uh, thank you again, Tom, for coming on the pod. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed this uh, this episode. It was a bit longer than others, uh, but there was so much to talk about, and uh, and I really enjoyed that that chat with uh, with Tom. And I know that next week we'll talk about the decisions that are being made slowly but surely. I don't expect big things to happen before early December, uh, but we are going to follow that. Uh, very closely do check out the other podcasts on breaking the lines uh, Corta Linhas with uh, Zach Lowy about uh, Portugal fo- Portuguese football and the tactic rooms with Will Flower Le- Will Fowler excuse me Will Flower this is my my English for leaving me Ligue 1 is suffering Ligue 1 is showing a bad face but um, Ligue 1 is also as exciting as it's ever been on the pitch and this is the most important for me so let's hope that at the end of this European week we can have all six clubs on their way to the next stage in European football and I look forward to reporting the uh, next pod next week with hopefully a little drama and much more pitch things to talk about merci, au revoir, talk to you next week, bye bye (laughs)